Hi, everyone. This is Abhishek from ShakeTheCosmos.com. My guest today is Nick Livingston, CEO of Hone It Software. And I'm really excited to talk to him. And if you're listening right now, now is a good time to hit the subscribe button or follow button and if, give this episode a rating. And Nick and I met originally... Well, actually, we met over the phone when I, I needed some help with my ideas. And he asked really intelligent questions to advance my ideas. And actually, I've implemented some of them in my Shake the Cosmos course. And you can go check it out at shakethecosmos.com. So enough about me. And I'm excited to talk about Honit. We're going to talk about some relevant topics, how Honit software and platform has evolved, how it helps employers, as well as some job search strategies um, that Nick uh, can share with us. So thank you so much for being on the show today, Nick. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Abhishek. Nice to, nice to be here. All right. So we're going to jump right into it. And I want to kind of get into the little bit of the journey that you took and also the pivots. So I imagine many people have an idea and they're sort of stuck in where to go next. And you definitely didn't just have an idea. You made it a reality. What was your thought process? And like, why did you decide to invest your time and money into this? Great question. I, I kind of fell into the world of recruiting, as a lot of recruiters do. You don't really go to school to be a recruiter, but it, it, it's this profession that kind of found me. Um, I enjoyed technology. Uh, I moved to New York City to be a talent scout in the music business, but you know it was. I graduated at the time of Napster and all this, uh, you know, all the challenges in the music business. But I, I discovered that technical talent was kind, were kind of the new rock stars, so to speak. Um, and so, you know, the idea of how do you uh, find a rock star engineer and get them hired that was all kind of enticing to me. And so, got a job as a recruiter. And you know, fast forward. Um, you know, I ended up going to Haas and, and business school and quickly learned about how other departments, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, learned about how other functions were using uh, data to make better decisions. And then I'd come back to my day job and my myself and my recruiters at, at TubeMogul, you know, we were still kind of scribbling notes and sharing opinions. And right. And we wondered why the interview process and the hiring process was inefficient and ambiguous and subjective and slow. Right. And and so there was this kind of disconnect between my the way I think about things and my math and physics background and data to that of my profession, HR recruiting, right? And I said, there's this, there's this gap. We're not using data to make better decisions. We're, we're sharing opinions and scribbled notes. And that's not sufficient if you're trying to make good decisions and move quickly. So, you know, going to business school at Haas was kind of the impetus of there's a disconnect. And then when I met James and Kim, the co-founders of Honit, here were two technical engineers who were frustrated, frustrated with the interview process you know, from talking to non-technical recruiters and saying, you know, why does it take two months to, to get a job? So it was a really good kind of um, meeting folks who felt the pain from the other side and then building technology that could help me as a recruiter, help candidates, help hiring managers, you know, move faster through, through the interview experience. That's awesome, and 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 I think uh, it's, it's it's essentially schedule, screen, and submit talent faster. I wonder, you know, you mentioned James and Kim. How did you when you were you guys? I mean, I would love to know the story. How did you meet them? Was please tell me this was a a Berkeley a, a business school or something? <laughs> well, we went that route originally. I I kind of I started 
trying to, you know, brainstorm with some other technical co-founders previously on like, hey, we've got this idea. How do you improve the interview experience, interview technology, right? And then um, kind of start and stop, right? People, you know, are interested in solving the problem, but then maybe they take a job, you know, and and they get sidetracked. Or um, so ultimately, I actually found James and Kim on AngelList, you know, um, which is, you know, was an early kind of website you know, around matching startups and founders and things like that. So had a couple of coffee meetings and, and then a dinner, and then we decided to formalize everything. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, it's, it's, uh, that's, uh, and, and in terms of like, what, what impact has like, I guess, um, you know, over time, what, what has evolved with the platform or yourself as well? Um, as you started, uh, it sounds like at Berkeley, you started this and then you, Oh, so yeah, what's happened with the platform and what's happened with you? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, from a business perspective, we've, we've gone through a couple pivots like that was, that was challenging and, and difficult, right? Originally we had built a platform to help job seekers practice interviewing and get better at interviewing by talking to experts in their industry, right. And, and kind of do mock interviews with an expert network. We realized that was too much to, to bite, you know, kind of three-sided network. So we kind of white labeled that and packaged it, you know, tried another kind of secondary approach at that. And then ultimately came back to what I know, which was schedule screen submit as a recruiter, you know, instead of the back and forth scheduling calls, we built kind of a Calendly alternative, right? So it's just a link that can automatically schedule interviews. Um, instead of frantically typing notes during an interview, you can record and transcribe the call. So it's searchable and indexable, and you can search questions and answers and insights contained in those conversations. And then the submit or the share course is usually a recruiter, you know, spends 30 minutes on the phone, hangs up the phone and has to then type paragraphs to try to express why a candidate you know, and that's just, again, we're going from conversations to text. We're losing a lot. We're misinterpreting a lot. And a hiring manager doesn't want to read that or trust a recruiter. So we're sharing sound bites or snippets or highlights from conversations, right? So the, I, um, you know, imagine hanging up the phone after a 30 minute interview and sharing a couple of key answers with someone else to listen to. And, so and I can, I mean, I also feel there's there's a human component added all of a sudden now because you know if it was just an email it's hard to tell the tone but I I hear you know a shake on the phone now all of a sudden and maybe his passion maybe comes across I'm just thinking out loud yeah and I think the other difference we you know the tools that I was getting pitched as a recruiting director were all trying to remove the conversation from the process they were trying to say oh send a candidate a chatbot to to, to screen them out or send candidates a one-way video interview tool where you can say, dear candidate, thank you for expressing interest. Please use this link to record yourself, answer these six questions, and then maybe someone will talk to you. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. If you're trying to recruit engineers and product managers and VPs of marketing and talented folks like you know the top talent, they're interviewing you, right? You're not interviewing them. So if you add steps or homework or friction, they're going to talk to your competitors. And so we were like, how do we build a technology that's still focused on conversations counting, but the data and the insights contained in those conversations? And so like if you've heard of Gong, if you've heard of Chorus, they're doing this for sales conversations, right? They recognize that the best sellers in your organizations 
do different things than the worst sellers. And they can analyze conversations to extract those insights and share those learnings with the best, the greater sales organization to figure out how do we all level up? Well, just like the best, you know, best sports teams, they, they watch play tape to get better. Well, if recruiters and hiring teams and interview teams aren't capturing our interviews, how do we get better? How do we rewind the tape on a good hire versus a bad hire to see what went right or to, what, to see what went wrong? And so interview data, interview intelligence kind of unlocks those conversations and lets us figure out why this person we hired who didn't look good on paper turned out to be a rock star, right? Yeah. And then what is... So this interview intelligence piece and you know this term, what kind of changes can a company start to make once they kind of realize that this, this piece of... This is another piece of data that can be leveraged? Yeah. I think, I think the, the, what we're just trying to get out there is just the idea that interview conversations are content, right? Interview conversations, if you look at content, you can search content. You can trend, you know, you can analyze content. You can <laughs> so it's it's a bit of a leap. And I think recruiting in HR is is behind, right? Support teams have been recording conversations for quality control and training for 20, 30 years. Sales organizations have been recording conversations for five years, let's say. Well, we think interview conversations are business conversations as well. And there's a lot to be gained when you start to look into what was asked. And more interesting, what makes a great answer to any given question? Yeah. What, what makes a great answer on your platform? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it's, it's recruiters don't necessarily know, right? And, and, and I think the fundamental disconnect in recruiting is that the hiring managers and the candidates speak the same language, whether it's QA automation or web analytics or finance, right? And then you have someone in the middle who's trying to explain an opportunity to a candidate and there's misinterpretation communication downstream, or they, they talk to a candidate and now they're trying to explain what that candidate said upstream to a hiring manager and there's misinterpretation and miscommunication in that direction as well. So it's like recruiters have been the, the interpreters and the translators, but we don't speak the same language as the candidates and hiring managers we're, we're talking to. So I think with data, we're able to, we're kind of able to solve that problem. And then actually through the Honet system, we're seeing candidates be able to answer uh, interview questions in their native language. Like imagine being able to answer in your native language and not your second language. I speak a little bit of Spanish, but I tell you what, I would not want to interview in Spanish, you know? Oh man, I, I didn't think about that. So, so there's, there could be, I mean, this could be used by, I guess. Oh, interesting. So, I guess what's what's been uh, like? Are there uh, are there um, it's like Spanish speakers? And I guess language being a barrier sometimes. Are you getting requests from people wanting it in other like global languages? And well, I mean, recruiting is global, right? And we know the world is flat, and the talent, you know, it's it's now especially with remote interviewing and remote hiring. I mean, it's only accelerated the last seven or eight months, right? Um, so the idea that a recruiter can sit anywhere and talk to a candidate anywhere and for companies to essentially hire people anywhere. Um, it really, you know, this idea of remote interview communication, um, gets really interesting really quick. Right. And the idea is how do you then as a team, when there are multiple people involved in the hiring process, let's say a recruiter and a hiring manager and two or three interviewers, the panelists, and then maybe, uh, 
an executive or a co-founder who's the final decision maker. How do you get all of those people aligned and involved in what a role is? Like what's the job we're trying to fill and make sure everybody's just on the same page there. And, you know, the inputs of what this candidate has said so far, like, you know, instead of all of us repeating ourselves and answering the same candidate, the same questions, let's, let's build upon each conversation and even remove some steps from the hiring process by collaborating. Yeah. I mean, I'm also thinking like everybody kind of, uh, sometimes people want a summary of uh, the candidate instead of and just the insights instead of like everything at once as well. So it's it's nice to have that. Yeah, I think just you know we're all human human beings. Like like we kind of all like to hear it for ourselves, and we kind of know talent when we hear it. But historically, that's required you know seven separate conversations with the same candidate for everybody to kind of hear it and get to the aha. Well, when you start to think of interview conversations as content, as data, you can now share it, right? So one person can facilitate a great technical interview and share some insights or highlights or sound bites from that call with three other people. And now, you know, you've got four people who can hear the same answers and then assess a candidate from one conversation potentially rather than seven separate conversations, which takes a lot of time and costs a lot of money. Oh yeah. So it's essentially very scalable in that aspect too. Um, Interesting. Yeah. 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 I mean, we're seeing, you know, especially like an external recruiter, let's say, you know, they talk to a great candidate looking for a job. They can now share a few highlights with four clients and each of those four clients can listen to a few key answers and say, wow, you know what? Abhishek sounds great. That was a great answer to web analytics. Let's get them on site or let's skip them to a call with the VP. We don't need to do the two other phone calls. So timing is everything. And it's all about, you know, how do we efficiently screen and assess candidates together? All right. So I know I kind of want to shift to also, we were talking about a remote as well. And of course, um, kind of want to uh, understand your own journey as well a little bit. Like I know this is an international uh, conversation right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, um, I I lived in the Bay Area for a number of years. Uh, you know, while, while working at Two Mogul and, and going to Berkeley Haas, you know, in the evenings and weekends, and then had my third daughter. Uh, and ultimately, just the cost of living in the Bay Area got to be a lot. And um, you know, we were bootstrapping Honit, right? And so the idea of bootstrapping a company is nearly impossible, you know, if, if you're, you know, living in the San Francisco Bay area. So there's this, there's this kind of conundrum around, um, you know, how do you get to a point in your career when you have enough deep insights into a particular problem yet, you know, without raising a round or raising venture capital money, how do you start a business? You know, just like going to business school part-time, it's hard to take, you know, to quit your job and quit working, quit making money to do something. So similarly, like pursuing the night program or the weekend program at Berkeley, we've been bootstrapping Honet. And we've, I moved to, to Costa Rica four years ago. And we've been doing this thing as a remote company. And uh, cost of living is better. Um, school's great down here. Healthcare's cheaper down here. They've got fiber internet down here. We're two hours from Houston. Uh, you know, so time zone's great. Um, and, you know, you forget that... You can you can get things done and you can do things globally, right? As as a as an organization. 
Yeah, I feel like more than that's more than ever now, uh, especially with the everything, a lot of things being remote. And was that was that a tough decision to make? And like, what was the planning like to just kind of move? I mean, from, you know, it's barrier. It's not like just barrier to San Diego. This is like barrier to Co- Tamarindo, uh, which is a beautiful town. I've been there. <laughs> Oh, you have. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. A little surf town. I mean, it sounds like it is right. And I, but I think ultimately, um, it wasn't that crazy. It was like, let's rent out our house. Like let's sublet our house for six months to see if we can do it. Right. We put our stuff in the garage or the attic and we sublet it for six months. And then we said, Hey, this is going pretty well. It's not that different. You wake up, you get your kids into school, you have your coffee, you log into the computer and you're on the computer all day. Right. Anyway. Um, you know, and so then we extended it for six months and then we extended it for a year. Right. And then we sold our house and we, you know, kept on keeping on. And so, yeah, I think it was like, we, you know, we met families down here that like sell everything and sell all their furnishings and take a leap. We didn't do it. It was a bit more of a structured approach, but, um, once you get down here, there's a lot of expats down here from U.S., from Canada, from Europe, from Australia, um, you know, who all either have jobs that are virtual or start businesses down here. I think one of the, the coolest things about living in a small town is that you forget how entrepreneurial small towns are. Right. You, this is the family that owns the, the restaurant. This is the family that, you know, uh, runs the hotel. This is the family that, uh, you know, is the bar. This person's the bartender that also makes something and sells at the Thursday night market, right? Like everybody's hustling to build something. And it's, it's pretty exciting. You don't really think about small towns having that entrepreneurial, uh, energy. Yeah. And I think I remember, um, going to Berkeley and I, I commuted to Sac from Sacramento and I, I actually worry, used to worry about that. Like, do I have to be in this particular area to always feel innovative and all this like energy um, and as well. But I kind of liked being in Sacramento sometimes and just kind of think and um, on my own as well. So, um, and this small business angle that you're talking about, I mean, yeah, like, um, and I'm really intrigued by your your journey as well because, and I've actually it's, it's interesting you mentioned this. There have been people approaching me about like the people are really looking at the world the world as options. Like, can wh- where can they? How can they do this? So this is kind of cool. <laughs> I think it's it's fascinating. I mean, COVID. I mean, obviously it's scary and it's uh, you know the uncertainty around everything is is can be scary, right? But I think it's also an opportunity for us to kind of look at education, you know, to, and to look at healthcare and, and to look at all these, these uh, institutions that we've done a certain way for so long. And, you know, the idea that kids can log in and have, you know, like our kids right now with, with COVID, um, the Zoom stuff didn't work so well, hundred percent. Right. So what we did, we created kind of a little micro school with a few kids. There's an, uh, an online curriculum from the States that's accredited and they can learn from a teacher here, but then we have a physical teacher supplementing and making sure things get done because, you know, for any, any parents that have tried to do the zoom thing from home, it's as much work for the parent as it is, you know, for the, especially with young kids. Right. And so, but, but, but imagine being able to learn from the, the best teachers in the world about a particular topic. I mean, I think that's, that's what age education could be, you know? Um, and, and we've got the technology, you know, so I, I think this world of remote really is kind of 
opening opportunity, you know, for people to not necessarily have the the house they can't afford and do the job they don't want to pay the mortgage, you know, and, and just that cycle, right. That we all catch ourselves in that you can live in a, a small town in Kansas and still work for an interesting company. You know, I'm from Kansas originally and, uh, you know, great people, not a lot of tech companies, but there's a huge opportunity to pay less in rent and still solve interesting problems, but do the pro- solve the problems you want to solve, not the, not the problems that you feel like you have to to get the salary to pay for the mortgage, etc. I'm sensing just like a very strong like uh, problem solving abilities over uh, over there, Nick, as well. Like just you know, in terms of solving this recruitment problem for employers, but then also kind of designed your own life for yourself in Costa Rica as well. And I love that. Um, in in terms of like, what do you see um, as like the future for recruiting now? Um, with this uh, would be, of course, like in a dynamic environment? You know, I think it's interesting. I mean, I think the world of work, the world of work has shifted, right? Now there's, you know, there's been a lot of layoffs. There's been a lot of downsizing. There's a lot of active job seekers, right? Which is kind of scary. It's like, wh- what are the new jobs that are going to be created that that get people back to work? Or is it going to be more split schedules where and people can work that three to four day week that we probably all would love um, if we sacrifice salary. Well, if we don't, again, if we don't live in the expensive cities, we can, you know, live off a three-day salary or four-day salary. Uh, and and again, so there's some opportunities there, I think, around shifting work. Um, totally. I, think, I mean, I think yeah. the sh- shifting work is definitely interesting. And it comes back to like the personal preferences people have, like, I just met a guy who works at national parks and he was like, you know, I don't get paid a lot, but guess what? I get to be in nature all the time and people pay to be in nature. We're like, so it's interesting how, you know, perspective matters. Artists. I mean, think about all the people who have a day job that would rather be doing their hobby or their arts or their crafts. Right. But that, you know, only get to do that a few hours on the weekend. Right. Because they've got, their day job. I mean, my wife and I, we both had full-time jobs in San, you know, the Bay Area and getting home at 7 p.m. and, you know, both having full-time jobs to be able to have someone else kind of raise our kids. And it's just like a decision you have to make. Um, you know, here we can live with one maybe salary, let's say, you know, or do consulting work or whatnot. Um, I think the other thing that's interesting, companies are probably reevaluating um, and this could be good or bad, or reevaluating how many people they need doing certain things in their company, right? How many marketers does it create take to create a campaign? Like how big does your marketing team need to be with new tools and marketing tools and and things like that? And you know all of that is amplified with this idea of the gig economy, right? And you know be able to hire someone who's really good at this little thing without hiring someone full time to do that thing. And, and so I I don't have an answer for you, Abhishek, but I I think it's all very confusing, but I do think the idea of, um, you know, there's people, the ability to do things that you want to do is probably more interesting than ever. Uh, And I think the ability then to, to have your family life or to focus on some of the other things that are important to us are probably more possible than they've been, you know, in, in previous years too. 
Totally. And I, I wonder, like, you know, you being on the sort of the other side of the uh, hiring practices and stuff, what secret tips um, would you have for candidates looking for jobs today? That's a great question. I, it's funny. I kind of think back when you say that, it makes you flash back to me moving to New York, like with my guitar, like wanting to work in the music business. And I remember like applying to all these, like probably director level jobs, like director of music licensing. That sounds cool. I'd love to do that. You know what I mean? And uh, just realizing now, like I was super unqualified for like a lot of those jobs I was applying to. And and to maybe just kind of reset and think about like, okay, that's a cool job at an interesting company but maybe I'm not qualified for that. Let me, let me use a tool like a LinkedIn to see who the hiring manager might be for that job. If it was a director role, maybe it's the VP. If it was a manager, maybe it's the director at that company. And let me like take a second to think a little bit more about, okay, if that's not the right, not, not the right role, what other roles in that company are currently available or what would I have to say to some hiring manager to have them, maybe flex that role. Maybe they don't need a director. Maybe they could get away with someone at half the salary who's super ambitious and super motivated to help them out because of X, Y, and Z. So, you know, I think there, there is flexibility with jobs, right? And a lot of times a company posts a job description with what their ideal candidate is, but knowing the 16 bullet points are probably all not going to be checked off by the person they hire. Right. And there's a, there's certain, like, what are the most important bullet points for this particular role? Um, And then I think it's also when people are making hiring decisions, they ultimately want to hire people who are super motivated to solve the problem and work at their company. So I, you know, I think when you're expressing interest in a job, it's, it's, it's answering the question, and maybe you're talking to a recruiter of like, why you want to work there? And if the recruiter hears it and can pass that along to excite the next person, you know, that can, that can better your odds. So I, I know it's kind of a roundabout question, but I think it's like, what's realistic for, for your, based on your experience? And what would someone pay you for to do that thing at this company? And then it's two, it's really to think for a job seeker to think about you know, if, if you're interested in sports, you can go work at a sports company, right? Go work. If you like baseball, go work for a baseball company. If you like badminton, go work for a badminton manufacturer, like whatever it is. And you can tie your interests to the role that you do for a company. I mean, I think that's best, best in case, right? And, and I think if you can articulate that in a cover letter or if you can articulate that in a LinkedIn message to a recruiter or to a hiring manager, I think that's a, that'll stand out from the competition. And again, answer that question of like, Hey, this person wants to work here. They're just not looking for any job. And then, I mean, I, I'm myself an example of your advice. Actually, I think about your tip number one, where, you know, just looking at jobs and, you know, if it's a director level job or who is the VP or kind of approaching them. And I've, I, and, and like, I remember looking at product management jobs and when, when you're trying to get in, I would apply to the associate product manager job. And sometimes during the interview, they're like, oh, this guy's really good. Why don't we final offer is actually going to be a product manager. So it's interesting, like I talk, you talk about this flexibility companies have um, and uh, about jobs. 
The, the other strategy there, Abhishek, is, is, you know, a lot of folks that graduate from college, they'll want to work at a Facebook, right? And again, you're also thinking about like, wow, like everybody's thinking that. <laughs> so your chances of getting that product manager job at Facebook, if you haven't been a product manager at another, you know, sophisticated tech company with scale and millions of users is probably unlikely. Um, well, what if you could be a product manager in another industry or maybe a less you know, popular software company and you cut your teeth, you learn the foundations, you get a three-year job on your resume of being a product manager at a web company doing this thing. And then you use that in a couple of years to leverage to say, okay, I want to go from a, a company building something like this to a company building something like this. Or once you make that next move, you can say, hey, okay, now I'm, a, I'm working at a consumer-facing software company with 2 million users. I want to take a lateral move to get that product manager job at a Facebook where I can impact a billion users. And so, you know, the other thing I'd I'd probably share with someone is if you're changing jobs, maybe only focus on changing one thing, right? Um, If you want to change location, maybe you do take a lateral move in the same industry and then you just focus on changing that location. Um, If you want to change industries, maybe you stay in the same location, stay in the same role. But now I want to go from health tech to ad tech. And you just focus on changing that one thing. And that's going to be less risky for the employer, less variables for a recruiter to consider when they're considering you. Um, Or if you want to level up and get a go up the ladder, stay in the same location, potentially in the same industry, and now go for that director level role. role. Interesting. Uh, And um, as we're kind of wrapping up here, um, how can people get in touch with you? And then also, you know, um, yeah, any, uh, exciting things, uh, uh, how can people get in touch with you? So honeit.com, uh, my email is Nick at honeits, H-O-N-E-I-T.com. Uh, feel free to send an email. Happy to chat about recruiting, happy to chat about hiring. Um, it's something I'm super passionate about trying to improve, uh, you know, that, that experience for, for everyone. So. Thanks so much. And if you're listening, uh, Nick's email is in, in the podcast description as well. So hit him up. All right. Well, thanks so much, Nick. Thanks, Abhishek. Have a great one. Appreciate the opportunity. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. Please hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week 